Uh, okay, so I'm old, old school, yeah. and I've had a week from hell. So I do not have a PowerPoint. Um, that and I'm a tech idiot. So we are going to be in our word. Does anybody need a Bible? I've got mine. I brought my Bible to Bible study. Thank you. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Uh, okay, I'm going to hand out some, I'm going to need some readers. So can somebody get, I'm going to pass out a couple verses. Micah 7, 2 through 4. That's got tiny print, so make sure you can read it. You got it? You got my Micah? Micah 7, 2 through 4. Yes, and Psalm 5 through 9. Lauren? Psalm 5, 5 verse 9. Ecclesiastes 9, 3. Brenda? Jeremiah 17, 9. Should be a memory verse for some LTCers. Sure. Matthew 15, 18 and 19. Angie? And one last one Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Should also be a memory verse. Okay, thank you guys. Uh, all right. Um, can somebody pray for us? Get us started. That'd be great. Well, God, I, oh, go ahead. Hey, God, I just uh, want to thank you that we're here tonight and we can go to this hosting. Um, and for, uh, I just want to lift up Carrie to you and pray that yeah. you'd be speaking through her, um, especially after her crazy week and just, yeah. uh, or maybe and uh, pray that we'd all be receptive to your work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, I just thank you that you are so good. Um, everything you say and everything you do is good and true and right. <clears throat> and it's so comforting to have that as an anchor to hold on to. So I just pray, Lord, that as we... Uh, for a lot of us, this is going to be reviewing some deeper spiritual truths or learning some spiritual truths. I pray that you would help us to open our minds and our hearts um, to hear what you have to say to us here this evening. So I just invite you to into this night. Amen. Amen. Okay. I, you know what? I also need a Romans reader. Sorry. I can. I can. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. All right. So quick recap. We've been in Romans, and for the first three, three and a half-ish chapters, it's pretty much been a downer, right? Paul has um, consistently been, been laying out some pretty bad news. Uh, and, I, and this is, frankly, it's because of Romans one twenty-five. It says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So he's been laying out the truth that we're actually bad. We're pretty evil. We're sinners, right? Now, one of the things that I wanted to make really clear is that this is not just a Romans idea. This is all through scripture. So I did just pull out just a couple verses. Uh, who's my Micah? Seven? E. Seven, two through seven? Two through four. Two through four. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright at Monday they all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. The hands are on, are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters an evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them is like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman or your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Yeah. Uh, and Psalm 5.9. May my enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with flattery. Mm, Sounds a lot like Romans 3, some of the stuff we read. And Ecclesiastes 9.3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, and that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. Okay. Boom. Yeah, and Jeremiah 17, 9. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. (laughs) Who can understand it? Yeah, and just in case we miss the point in the Old Testament, what does Matthew 15 say? Verses 19 and 20. 
But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. This is a really, really bleak picture of humanity. And this absolutely flies in the face of what culture says about mankind. What are some things that, that our culture says about the human race? Do we hear? They're basically good, right? What do we hear about babies that are born? They're so what? Perfect. They're so perfect. They're so innocent, right? And you come to the word of God, and the word of God is like, no, no. You are actually born evil, and you're full of evil, right? This is the offensive news of scripture. Yay. <laughs> now, I, you know, when I was praying, I prayed to a God that is all good and he's all right. So this does beg the question, if we have a creator God that is all good and everything he does is good, did he create sin? Did he create evil? Where did it come from? Right? So that's what we're going to do a little bit tonight is we're going to trace the history of sin and find out where it came from. And that is going to lead us into our passage. Uh, are you my Romans reader? Can you get Romans 5, 12 through 14, please? <clears throat> 5, 12 through 14. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Okay. So, sin entered the world through one man. <coughs> one man was Adam. The first man. Right? The first man that God ever made. So we got to go all the way back to the beginning, right, and find out how this happened. Um, who's my Genesis 1 person? I got that. So 126 and 27? Yes. Okay. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay. I had the opportunity to sit with this for a little while today. We were created in the image of God. I found that rather amazing when I contemplated that today. There's nothing else in the whole universe that is created in the image of God. <coughs> Just us. Right? That's, I think that's kind of amazing. You see, in the creation account, you know, God, what he's doing, he's creating the seas, he's creating the land, he's creating the skies and the stars and the moon, and after everything, he says, yeah, it's good. It's good. Right? And then he creates man in his own image, and at the end of that day, he says it is very good. At this point in our story, there was no sin. There was no evil. Adam and Eve were living perfectly in perfect unity with their creator in a perfect world. I don't think we can really get that here. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we can understand that. Um, those of you that know me at all know that I've been, for the past couple years since my dad died, I've been spending a lot of my thought life on eternal things. And one of my favorite books that I've read in the past couple years is Heaven by Randy Elkhorn. And one of the points that he made is that he's talking about, you know, you, you, in the springtime when the leaves are fresh, you look at that tree and you think you know what the color green is, but you actually don't because everything in this, in this world is dripping with sin. See, right now we see with just kind of a haze because everything is clouded by sin. But that wasn't the case in the garden. In the garden, everything was created perfect and was functioning perfectly as it was meant to function. So, 
what happened next? God created everything. God created man. It was very good. God and man are hanging out. They're having the time of their lives, enjoying all of the, eating all the fruit and enjoying and naming all the animals and having a blast. Perfect unity. We, I don't, I can't even imagine. I try to sometimes think about what it would be like to have any relationship without sin. I can't. I just can't, right? Um, I can come kind of close though. Okay, so this is going to be a little TMI. So uh, once or twice when my husband and I are off in the middle of God's creation, there's been maybe a couple of occasions where I have had the opportunity to walk around in the woods naked. And it says this in scripture, that Adam and Eve were naked in front of God and they were unashamed. And I think about that, and here's what I can tell you. You know what I remember feeling? Freedom. Hmm. And it's beautiful. I only had a moment, but it was really sweet. (laughs) So God and man, they're hanging out, they're having a good time, they're free, loving each other. And God says, yes, enjoy all of my creation, eat all the things, you know, spend time with the fish, whatever. But, see that tree over there? That one tree? Don't eat from that tree. Just don't, just don't eat from it because you'll die, right? Now, why would he do this? Well, a part of being made in the image of God is that we have free will, right? We're the only part of his creation that enjoys the free will that we have. Okay, so, and this is a big point. Relationships require free will. Any kind of real relationships require free will. I love my husband because I choose to love my husband. But that's not possible unless I also have the freedom to reject my husband, right? I love my friends because I choose to love my friends. I can only do that on any kind of real basis if I have the ability to reject my friends. Free will has to be a part of these love relationships. This is what makes relationships so precious. This is what makes relationships precious to God. He's not going to make us love him. He's like, I want you to choose to love me. Right? Every person ever born was created to have this kind of relationship with their creator. But in Genesis 3, even though Adam has all these things, what does he do? He eats from the tree. He eats from the tree. He eats from the tree. Adam chose to reject the free will love relationship that God had created him to have. And it brought about a huge consequence. What does it say there in verse 12? Sin entered the world. Evil entered the world because of his disobedience, because of his rebellion. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. It's so important to remember that this was never God's design at all. We were actually created to live forever. And we know this, it says in Ecclesiastes 3 that we have eternity in our hearts. There was not supposed to be any kind of separation. So, because of Adam's choice, it affects the rest of mankind. We all were born with Adam's sin. All of us. This is the idea, this is a heavy term, it's called federal headship, right? Basically what it means was that Adam acted on my behalf. Now, because of Adam's actions, I inherited all these things. And this, you know, whatever. This is just a fact of life, right? We can't avoid it. Um, generations past made decisions that affect all of us, right? So, for example, this is a little-known fact about Carrie. My great-grandfather and my great-grandmother actually grew up and they were raised in Wales. They came to America on a boat, I don't know, 100, 150 years ago, whatever. Because they made that choice, I was born in America. So their actions affected me. Okay, so this is the whole idea behind federal headship. So, Adam's sin, Adam brought in sin, 
to all the people and death spread to all the people. This, by the way, is why humans have never been able, nor will ever be able to create any kind of utopian society. Because the problem is not out there. The problem is not my culture, my job, my family. That's not, the, the problem is in here, inherently. It, like that verse says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the verses we read earlier, we are inherently evil. Um, I can prove this. We do have quite a few parents here, right? If you're a parent of a toddler, raise your hand if you think that toddler is innocent. But, <laughs> <laughs> Is that you, Erica? <laughs> right? We know this. If you, if you think children are born innocent, just spend half a day with them, please. You'll see, like, oh, my God. They're actually love-sucking, self-centered, selfish little lumps of flesh, right? You can put a baby in the oven today and said, I'm cooking a baby. Oh, like, evil. <laughs> so, so, Erica, you have no doubt that your child is a sinner, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. But are you sure you didn't teach her to do that? <laughs> I, 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 are we? Are we? She's going to be okay. It's so funny to me. You don't have to teach them to be evil, right? You have to teach them to be kind. You have to teach them to share, because those are the things that don't come naturally, right? So, so the issue is um, not it, it. It's not I commit sins, therefore I'm a sinner. It's the reverse. I'm a sinner, therefore I sin. Okay. All right. So I get it. I'm evil, right? I get it, Carrie. So what do I do about it? You know, and Craig touched on this a couple weeks ago, and we've touched on it a couple times, and we're really going to dig into it in the next couple weeks. But, you know, you go to a bookstore, and the books, the bookshelves are lined with self-help books, right? There was that psychological thinking. I don't, I don't remember where I read this, but it was like, the first thing you do in the morning is you wake up, you go to that mirror, and you say five times to yourself, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, and you'll be a good person. Oh, shit. <laughs> Doesn't work, right? You can try medication if you're depressed. Maybe the medication will make you happy. I don't think so. We don't have to look too far to see that's not working. Maybe if we just, just keep trying really hard to be better. This is the religious approach we've been talking about. And frankly, it's really, it's actually very scary if you try and approach life this way. I mean, if you're all about trying to do more good deeds than bad deeds, you get to the end and you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, that's a terrifying way to live. What if I commit one more bad deed than good deed at the end of the day? This is the, um, what the Pharisees tried to do. This is called legalism. Jesus talked about this when he said, you Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you clean the outside of the cup, but inside you're filthy, right? All these things do is treat the symptoms. They don't get to the heart of the issue. By the way, there is no other philosophy. There is no other religion. There is no other cultural belief system that explains the struggle that we have like scripture does. Okay. So... Adam acted on my behalf, and because of what he did, I inherited all this evil. Thanks, Adam. There's got to be a part of us that wants to say it's not fair. It's not fair. I didn't get to choose. I wasn't there. I'll bet if I was there, I would have been obedient. <laughs> Probably not. But you're right. There is an innate unfairness to life. That's just the way it is. Right? But if you do want to talk about fairness, let's talk about fairness from God's perspective. Because in Matthew 5, he says, you know what? You have to be perfect just like I am perfect. There's my standard. And I bet you can pull this out. What does James 2.10 say, John? If you commit one sin, you commit them all. You're guilty of all. If you do, if you have one little mean thought, or you say one little mean word, guess what? You're done. That's God's standard. We all deserve 
judgment, condemnation, and death. Now, when it comes to judgment, there's so much of us that, so so much, a big part of us that we, we actually want judgment, right? You look around at the world and you look at like, pick, pick your evil. Sex trafficking, drug trafficking, uh, babies being shot while they're in elementary schools. These are evils. And we look at them and we cry for justice. We, inside, we really want justice. But, you know what? I, I'm all right. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need it. But God says, oh, yeah. Yeah, you do. You actually deserve my justice just like everybody else. But what does he do? What does he do with this problem that we have? Uh, you're my Romans reader. Can you get verses 15 through 17, please? Yep. <clears throat> but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, sorry, yeah, of the one, the many die, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Okay. In those three verses, the words gift and grace are mentioned eight times. Now, anytime you're studying any kind of literature, we know if something's important, if, if something's repeated several times, it's important, and we're probably supposed to pay attention, right? So, it's a big deal, this gift, this grace that he's talking about. And just as Adam acted on my behalf, therefore he's called the federal head, right? Jesus also acted on my behalf. See, Adam was a first fruit giver of sin and death. But Jesus is a fruit, first fruit giver of righteousness and life. He's another federal head. Real spiritual life and victory over sin cannot be attained by checking off the boxes. We're going to talk about this again and again. You can't do it. You have to be made into something new. So how does this work? Okay, so let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, First Cor 5.17 says, those that believe in Christ, the old is gone. The old is gone, the new has come. So how does this play out? Okay, so I was born in Adam as a sinner, but I can choose to be reborn in Christ as a child of God. First John, no, John 1, 12, to those who receive and believe, we have the right to become children of God. Okay. This is only possible because of the work of Christ on the cross. It's the only way any real change can come about. Uh, okay, so I'm going to try not to go too far down this rabbit trail, but the book of Leviticus not my favorite book. I don't think, well, whatever. It's the books of it, laws, all kinds of laws. Laws, 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 right? And it, a lot about the sacrificial system that God is setting up. And it's, it's, it, it's kind of a drag to read. I'm just being real. But the reason why God does this is, is not like to be, make it a drag or to show us all these things that we ought to do. But he's really giving us a picture of, hey, this is how good I am. These are the things that I require because I'm so good. You can't come near me unless you do the, all the, the things, right? But in Leviticus 17, there's a little snippet that says, yes, you are to make these sacrifices. Yes, you are to boil the meat. You can eat the meat, blah, blah, blah. But of the blood of the animal, you may not partake because the blood contains the life. So when Jesus went to the cross and he shed his blood, he shed his life as a drink offering. His life was poured out. And when I chose to receive that, it was poured out over me and my sin and who I am in Adam. And it's all covered. 
somewhere in Isaiah, I can't remember where, but it says that my the person in Adam, all of the sin, all of the yuck, is now, from God's perspective, as white as snow, white clean. That's amazing. By the way, this is also incredibly unfair. I don't deserve this. I could never demand that God sacrifice his son. I have no right when I stand before the creator of the universe. But a door is open now. I now have the opportunity to work with Jesus into the work of putting my sin nature to death. So Joe last week, he titled his teaching, The War is Over. And my first, I gotta tell you, my first thought was, is it? <laughs> because the peace with God. Uh, the peace with God, yes. And that is the initial part. That is the initial beginning of the war, right? I am now no longer in Adam. I am in Christ. But I do still, I, I still sin. I still have sin nature, right? But I now have the opportunity with Jesus to work on breaking that down. This is the only hope any of us have for any kind of real change. Okay, so in Adam, I'm subject to the slavery of fear and death. And in Christ, that's all gone. I don't have to operate under that anymore. Jesus has so many good things to say about who I am in Christ. Uh, Angie, do you remember Ephesians 2.10? No. I am God's masterpiece. And mm. first uh, Ephesians 1, it says that I am a holy and righteous daughter of the King Most High. The problem is, is that we have to spend most of our lives out there, right? And so we have so many other things coming at us trying to tell us who we are. We have our jobs, we have our family, we have our friends, we have the culture, right? Who are you gonna believe? You got that self-talk too. You know, I'm a dummy, I'm an idiot, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Why not try believing what God says about you and banking your mind and your thought life on that? When you learn how to move out into this world as a holy and righteous prince or princess, it's really sweet. It's really sweet. Okay, but it does have to start with that initial relationship by receiving that gift of grace to be made known. Now, for Christians, it is one thing to know this stuff. It's quite another to remember it. If we're stuck, if we're floundering, if we keep tripping over the same old, same old, I really want to encourage you to spend some time sitting with these things, sitting with these truths. Okay, we're going to continue on uh, before I get lost in thought. Um, Hannah, you can get verses 18 and 19. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Okay. So he really, he just keeps repeating himself. Why does he keep repeating himself with these same things? Because we're dense. Because we're dense. We need to hear it a lot. We need to hear it all the time, right? Um, again, in Adam, death reigns, and you have no choice. There is no hope. That is so important. But in Christ, life reigns, righteousness reigns, the only place for any kind of real hope. Now, we're going to be, uh, you know what? Let me, let's just go ahead and finish up with mm -hmm. verses 20 and 21 first. The law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. Uh, verse 20, I kind of tuck in my back pocket. I call it my cookie jar. Um, 
verse one. Let me explain what this means. Uh, the law came in so that the transgressions of sins would increase. Again, parents, you will get this. If you go to the grocery store and you buy cookies and you set them on the counter, but you don't say a word to your toddler, it's fine, right? It's fine. But the minute you tell your child, don't touch those cookies. <laughs> What's the only thing that child wants to do, right? Is climb up on whatever to get to those cookies, right? It's absolutely true. But thank God, grace abounds all the more. Praise the Lord for that. I don't know how many times in my life I've needed that. So it's really sweet. Um, okay, we're going to be digging into these truths about our new identity and how it plays out in our lives a lot more over the next few weeks. But I did want to end um, by saying that the way we see ourselves, what we believe about ourselves, absolutely affects our behavior. Absolutely. Um, but we need an accurate picture. We have to have an accurate picture, and it can only be found in here. But I will... Have you guys all read this? Yeah, I've read it like eight times in 20 plus years. This is my third copy because it's still in pretty good shape. It's only highlighted a little bit here and there. Um, It's one of those things that you can read again and again. And I I always get something new out of it because these truths are, are hard and easy to forget. So I'm done. That's what I've got. Any questions? Contemplations? Thoughts? No, no. Not just. <laughs> <laughs> we're all good with our identity. Um, we're, we're all living like princes and princesses. Is that what I'm seeing? Yeah. Or do we struggle? Do we struggle? Yeah, we do struggle. And I, I even though I didn't remember, I do. I do remember when you told me. Remember, you need to remember this. So it, it's not, and I still need to remember that because I still struggle with that. <clears throat> I, I, so. Yeah. Of yeah, course we struggle. That. Yeah, but. I mean, we spend most of our thought life out there. And out there is ruled by, the, by Satan who's throwing all kinds of lies at us all day long about who we are. We have to have, I, I recommend at least one or two identity truths memorized to fight that. I thought, I thought that uh, you bringing up the, uh, yeah, sort of the royal elect, like, like, the, like the, the prince and princess thing, mm-hmm. talking about, like, is that how you do yourself in the face of, like, the world? Uh, someone uh, who's been in the fellowship for forever has been involved in a lot of, People who grew up in the church, like myself, or like a lot of the country girls, stuff like that, uh, used to make fun of us for being princes and princesses. In fact, in the sense that we were very like spiritually wealthy, in the sense that we grew up in this place and took all of it for granted, and like <laughs> yes. kind of like so it's kind of like that's like a negative kind of well, thing. Well, like, right, well, I, well, the reality is that uh, I, I thought it was it's really apt because the reality of it is that like there is this thing there and you just turn your nose up at it in favor of like dirt and mud and like uh, nastiness really mm-hmm. and, and and your identity truths get wrapped up in the world in spite of the fact that you already have yeah. wealth right in front of you so it's like uh, the the options oftentimes are you know like you're identifying like you're raised up in the world and you, and you never realize that you have this thing or you're you're raised at least uh, closer to, you know, God's truth at the very minimum, right, in a church, and you still take it for, for granted instead. Uh, yep. so, that's one of the dangers of raising kids in the church. Yeah, right? absolutely. That's like, for granted. that's like the big struggle yep. that, you know, every single one of us will face going forward, you know, that, you know, have kids and raise them, help, yeah. you know, raise them. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know, that, that was just something that, that clicked in my head, just, Mentioning that mm-hmm. uh, uh, reminded me of somebody poking fun at me for that. Uh, and being like, you realize what you have. So, uh, yeah, that's just, I don't know. That's a good reminder because yeah. I didn't grow up in a church, but then my kids are. So it's, 
Yeah, and you don't. In fact, you don't even probably, even though you were probably raised in the world or you, you yeah. had a significant experience of it, it probably doesn't prevent you now that you have it from yeah. taking it for granted, right? Right. Yeah, right. We. We all take grace for granted. Yeah. yeah. All the time. Yeah, yeah that was a fact. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like the, the primary difference is just did you grow up being. Yeah, somebody's who's never experienced. Yeah. I would imagine. I mean, I, I have. I did, didn't grow up in the church either. But yeah. Like, you've really never experienced not being in the church. Yeah. Which is incredible. That's, yeah. That's pretty awesome. But it is like, okay, how do you. If you have kids, like I have kids, thinking like, how do you, I mean, I think one way that, um, you know, like you talk to somebody like Ted, um, you know, he impressed on his kids, like we've got to love other people. And then I know like Mia in particular, like part of her story is she went on that trip to the Philippines and that was like impactful. So I think your kids, one way they can see, um, and maybe you've experienced this, Evan, I should let you talk because... You know, you're, you this out, you like experience like interacting with other people and serving other people that didn't have that oh, yeah. experience and you go, oh, um, wow, I am in like a really awesome place that I didn't realize and I have taken for granted where most people haven't had this. Yeah, I think a lot of that was growing up, you know, just like being surrounded by folks who didn't have parents who brought them up. Yeah, you said that as part of your, I thought that was really cool, your dad um, played that role where he invited, like, your friends over and, you know, you got got to experience, like, doing Mm -hmm. things with them, but also serve your friends in that way and, and be able to see that. You were able to see that then, so I think that that's cool. I also think it's important to teach your kids the theology of depravity. Yeah. You know, because it's that's laying the groundwork for gratitude. So I don't think it's ever, I don't know. Ryan has said that to, to us. Like, you, I'm guilty. I hammered it into my kids, you know. Yeah. I even make it a game, you know, off the top of my head if we were hanging out with a bunch of kids. What do you deserve? And they'd go, hell, and they'd pass out dollar bills, you know. <laughs> But it was laying of groundwork, you know? I think it's very fitting that you taught this passage because right. I just like remember in cell group and like, you know, things that you've said to me personally. It's like, Allie, you're a princess. Like, you know, mm. believe what God like really says about you and believes about you. Like, take that in your heart and really apply it to yourself. Yeah. And like what you were saying about like how what you believe changes your behavior. Like, that's totally true. But it also changes the way that you love people. You know, like, for yeah. example, I know that you really believe what God says about you and you believe what he says about me too. Mm-hmm. And, like, that just, like, frees me up to, like, not be afraid for you to see my sin. Like, I feel like I can just be, like, a piece of crap alley, but fully loved, yeah. you know, fully known by the Lord, you know, and just be loved in that way. So I That's would a say, part yeah. of that gift. Yeah. Right. Which well, is beautiful. Yeah, well said. Thank you. I, I don't know. I really liked, uh, I liked this path, like your thoughts on this a lot. Um, and I think I'm just kind of, you brought up Ephesians 2.10, but you didn't finish it. Sorry. Oh, no, it's so good. It's, it is so uh, good. Go ahead, for me or God's, <laughs> I've learned it as workmanship, mm-hmm. created beforehand in Christ Jesus for good works may we walk in them and um i know personally like i don't know if i grew up in the church or not it was weird life was weird at home but um so kind of not but uh so for me it took me a long time to really fully understand what that meant and that i love that verse because it shows not only like oh we're this special thing but God really intentionally loves all, like us individually, and yeah. there's it helps remove comparison. Yeah, which I think because God created good works for you, it doesn't matter what Evan's doing or Abby right. or it, like like God yeah. has a, like something intentional for you, right. and then I know that even when I fall back. Um, 
often like when I forget that it's often I have a lot of fear and that's when I start acting like this evil like like Avery who's cooking a baby (laughs) (laughs) where like I know for for me that's where I'll fall back into like I get scared that I'm not loved that God doesn't Mm -hmm. have these good works for me that he forgot me or something like that. And so that's when I start demanding of other people right. to fill God's role. Right. Um, and I think that it's just like, I don't know. I really liked how you were like tying that in that learning these identity truths is so important, not just so that like you understand it, but so that we can walk in those good works mm-hmm. and that way, like, we can fully appreciate that gift of grace. So Yeah. And so what is Jesus doing? Why did he make us his masterpiece, right? The idea is he wants to he wants to redeem us and draw us back to the way it was supposed to be. Yeah. We were suppo- we were created, like I said, to have that perfect unity with him. To live perfectly in his perfect world. Now, we, we, won't, we won't see that this side of eternity, but we will eventually. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sweet. That's really sweet. I can't wait. <laughs> right? Yeah. If you haven't read that book by Randy, oh my God. It's so good. So good. Does that book answer questions about heaven? Or what is it? I've, I've heard of Yes. It. But the thing that I really liked about it is he's got a ton of um, support by scripture. So it's not like just his thoughts on heaven. So it, it is really worth a worthwhile read. Where for like, where does it talk about heaven predominantly in the Bible? Or is it kind of sprinkled throughout? It's kind of sprinkled throughout? Yeah. Yeah. I like John 16 where Jesus says he has a place prepared for you. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I was listening to a podcast um, this week, and they were talking about um, it was it was a podcast on on marriage. But um, one this one couple had a, a child die, and they were talking about like, and the child was a believer, so their parents knew that the child was in heaven, and she was saying like, just it was like about just it was such a rough season in marriage. Um, but then she was saying that other friends would talk about how their teenagers doing God knows what and so worried about them and where she actually took comfort in the fact like he, what is it? What is the verse about like abstinent body, something with Christ? Like he's perfect in heaven with the Lord. Yeah. And like, that's not, that was, that's like something she was like, I could dwell on that and realize like, Oh, I'm not like worrying about that's what not he's a small into. thing. That's a big thing. Right? And part of me, like I think of, like my kids haven't, you know, we're not in those rebellious years yet. Right. But you just, part of me is like, wow, that is an interesting thought to think that. Like, even though there's, I'm sure, so much pain of them not being here, to some degree, she was saved from some other types of pain. You know, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. So that's been a part of my, okay, so I'll, I'll share a little bit. A part of my struggle, you know, a lot of you know what's going on with my mom, but um, I have uh, Connie Rue in Columbus. She's a pseudotherapist in Columbus. She's on speed dial. Um, she told me, also a couple months ago, I was talking to her, and she said, the reason why your heart breaks so much, I'm going to cry, is because because you have a trinity in your heart, your heart longs for the perfect mother-daughter relationship. But you gotta wait until you get to heaven to have it. Yeah. Right? And those are the things we long for. Those are the righteous things that God put in our hearts. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't want children to die. We wanna be with them forever. Yeah. We don't want parents we want, you know? Yeah. Death wasn't supposed to be the part of the plan. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Being in this world and not being of it is two different things because if we're doing what Paul says and focusing on the prize 
this world is nothing to us, anyways, being Christians. Because we're not here to do anything except serve God and to bring more people into his kingdom. Mm -hmm. So as we walk through life, if we're so focused on the people that are here, we miss what God offers us. Because that's the whole purpose of us dying, is going to be with him. Right. Can you say that again, though? The last part. Us dying is the whole purpose. We're going to be with him. Yeah. That gives us the ultimate way to be with him. We here on earth look at death as, oh my God, that's so bad. Well, there is pain, though. Right, but there's pain because there's separation of relation. The relationship is broken. Right, but that's where so many people are actually able to forgive and or look at a child being taken from them. They are no longer in pain. They don't have to go through any of the life pains. They're, they are yeah. living perfectly with Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that hope is seen again. Yeah. That's one of the things as I get older and I know my dad is getting older and it's going to suck, but I know where he's going. Mm-hmm. I know. So yeah. I will I'll be with him again. Yeah, it does bring an intense amount of comforting when you lose a loved one you know, as a believer. And as I think about that, my dad, well, maybe most of you don't know, my dad, is, his body's screwed up. So as I know he's going to be in heaven, he's going to have a perfect body. Yeah. You know, that is such a blessing. He's not going to be hindered by that old, frail mm-hmm. body that he's in. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. That's one of the things I look forward to, seeing your dad jumping all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts, questions? Yeah. Um, it's... So this strikes me, this passage as being, um, in some ways, different from what came ahead. You know, in chapter 1 and 2 and 3, he's talking a lot about how we sin and how we fall short and how um, we don't seek after God. And, and these are all things that we do, um, and they deserve death. And it, in, in this passage, we're... We're, we're confronted with, um, yeah, that's part of the sin is part of our identity, and the the blessing in Christ is not related to anything I do. And so, as one who walks around in this world and who grew up um, understanding guilt, mm-hmm. understanding that my and tying my value as a person to the bad things that I've done. I'm not very good because I've done this or I did that or I didn't do that right or I didn't do that at all or I did the wrong thing or said the wrong thing or didn't say the right thing. I was taught uh, from a young age to to look at my failures and to internalize them and to understand my identity as a failure based on what I've done. And, And this passage really separates my identity from things I do. Yeah. It really um, is different in that way. For, you know, normally we normally we've been talking all along about how we all sin, how we all sin. We do this and we commit all these sins and we can't do anything right, and, and that's all true. But our identity in Christ, actually, our identity in Adam even, isn't related to that. Right. It, it doesn't come from that. Mm-hmm. It's not connected to what we do. It's mm-hmm. the, the root of it is who we are. Mm-hmm. And Christ made us a new person. Yeah. Like our, we're different now. And, and, and so it's it's hard for me to connect my identity in Christ to what he did because I'm so accustomed to connecting my identity and my guilt with things that I've done. Right? And so, so it's... It's a different way for me to think. Yes. It's like it's a whole different thought process yep. 
for my mind to get to is like because it, it's it's commonplace. We all talk about how we sin, how we did this right. thing or that thing, and that's not the issue. Mm -hmm. uh, the issue is I was dead in Adam, and now I'm alive in Jesus. And, uh, and so that's not completely separate from what I've done or what I've failed to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's completely dependent on what he's done yeah. and, the, and his love for me. And so that's just really, it's a different thought process. It's very, I think, it's upside down. It's an upside down thought process. That, um, and it's very countercultural. You don't hear this anywhere else, right? <laughs> right. And, and even as we speak, you know, these last weeks I've been paying attention. And it's like we're talking about the sins that we do. Mm -hmm. and not the identity that we have. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I mean, it's just, it's just a, like I say, it's a different way for me to think, and it's hard for me to retrain my thoughts and my my thoughts of myself. Right? I'm a, I'm a son of the king because of what the king did. Yep. Um, he adopted me. Mm -hmm. and, um, You're not stuck. I'm not stuck. I'm free. Yeah. Naked and unashamed, right, friend Paula? <laughs> it is possible. And that's why I think it is so crucial to have a couple of those identity truths memorized and in your pocket. Because like I said, when you go out there, there's just all lies. And everybody else is just really trying to tell you who you are. You know, and then you got the self-talk on top of it. I don't even have to go out there. Yeah, I was going to say, you got the self-talk on top of it, right? So to be able to have a couple verses memorized about who God says you are. And I think even like in the first couple pages of this book, uh, there's a big list of them somewhere in here. But, I mean, it's, you know, there's there's lists floating around. If you want a copy, text me. I can get you a copy. I got a whole list of identity truths. Ephesians 2.10, baby. Should we pray it down? Yeah. Well, Lord, um, I do thank you for this. I thank you that I don't, I can... I thank you that I have been made new. I thank you that, that everybody that's made the choice to receive this gift and this grace has been made new. The old is gone and the new has come. And um, I know that you paid the dearest, highest price you could possibly pay so that this can become our new reality. But Lord, we do still struggle so much with this reality. So I do pray, Lord, that even over the next week, um, and I know we're going to be digging more into this, but I pray over the next week, Lord, that we would take some time and really uh, try, to, try to wrestle out what it means to be a child of yours, to be a holy and righteous prince or princess. Because the impacts are, they reach into eternity. Um, so I pray that for all of us, Lord. I do thank you for these passages. I thank you for these truths. Because frankly, without them, we would be hopeless and so lost and even more messed up than we really are, than we already are. So just thank you for that, Lord.